There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 384. And today, we are joined by the legendary whitetail bow hunter, Andre DeQuisto, for a follow-up to our previous discussion this summer. And this time, we're diving deep into the whitetail rut. All right, welcome to the Wired Dunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today, we're joined again by Andre DeQuisto. Now, Andre was a guest back on episode 366, and it was a it was a pretty exciting thing having him on. He, he has not previously done podcast interviews up to that point, so it was interesting to get to hear from him. We talked for over two hours. Uh, we still weren't able to cover everything I wanted to, though. And after hearing from many more of you saying you wanted to hear more as well, we had to make it happen. So if you didn't hear episode 366, be sure and go back, listen to that, get the foundation of Andre's hunting style, um, get all that figured out. We talked a lot about his scouting, talked about some of his aggressive tactics, talked about really a lot of what he does in October and preseason. But uh, really quick, if you're not familiar, Andre is one of the foremost whitetail hunters in the country. He's, I think it's fair to say, kind of legendary within the do-it-yourself crowd. He revolutionized, excuse me, the mobile hunting world when he founded Lone Wolf Tree Stands back in the day. He popularized a series of aggressive hunting tactics that are now widely used and talked about. Uh, He's now the founder of Lone Wolf Custom Gear and a host of their Whitetail Addictions TV show. Uh, So he's doing a lot of stuff, and he's also... I mean, he's 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 aggressive, he's confident, he's unique, uh, and he's wildly successful. So he's someone to listen to. He's someone to learn from. And today, different than last time, today what we're going to do is grill him on the whitetail rut. And that's because this episode is launching right now on the doorstep of the whitetail rut. That's it. The Super Bowl of the whitetail season, the, the high point of our year, the grind the marathon, the big show, this is it. This is happening now. So we're going to dig into everything Andre thinks about during the rut, why sometimes the rut is frustrating for him, how he still has success many times during the rut, what he does, uh, how his perspective might be different than most other rut hunters. It's interesting stuff. But before we get into that, I do want to leave you with some of my thoughts. I want to kind of open with with some high-level 
uh, principles of hunting the rut. Because especially if you're new to deer hunting, um, I want to make sure you have these basic foundations covered as we go into this time of the year. Because now, like the last few days of October and the month of November, this is that breeding season for whitetail deer, which is when kind of a lot of their caution gets thrown out of the wind or thrown out. Uh, I don't know what the saying is. I can't think of it right now, but it gets thrown, caution's thrown to the wind. That's it. And uh, they, they let their guard down and they move a lot more and it presents us as hunters new opportunities. But at the same time, it requires of us as hunters to put a level of time and dedication into the woods that's different than the rest of the year. If if this is what you really want to do. So let's cover off on a few of those basic principles, whether you're new or you've been doing this forever. This is important stuff to just always keep in the back of your mind. These principles of rut hunting success are something that I always come back to. And you've heard me talk about it before, but, but hear me out because every year I find myself getting tangled up in the moment of how this hunt went and how that went hunt and what this buck's doing and what that sighting told me, what this trail camera image is telling me and what the wind's doing, what the weather's doing. And all these ingredients get tossed into a big pot and spun around. And then all of a sudden I spend hours and hours up at night stressing about what I should do and why I should do it. And what does this mean? Um, there's, there's so many different ingredients here that you can get confused. You can get frustrated. Um, it's, it's important. I've found at least for me, to remember that whenever I find myself in that place to take a step back and look at the big picture again. So here's the big picture. Maybe this will help you in moments like that. The principles of rut hunting success. Number one, think about two different types of hunting setups at this time that almost always your plans should fit into this to some degree because this is really the, the simplest, most base level of, of how to find success. You, you want to be doing one of these two things. Number one, focusing on the does, on doe hotspots, right? At this time of year, bucks are looking for a doe that's ready to breed or they are on a doe that's ready to breed and trying to breed her. But either way, bucks are with or around does because they this is the time to, to mate, to procreate. That's all they have in their mind right now. So if you can know where the does are, that's where the bucks are going to be. So this can be one of two things. This can be either doe feeding areas or this can be doe bedding areas. In the mornings, usually doe bedding areas are the place to be. Usually all through the rest of the middle of the day, that's the same case. In the evenings, doe feeding areas. Now, something that happens, excuse me, something that happens often is that these bucks will try to check multiple doe hotspots throughout the day. And to do that, they're usually going to cruise along the downwind side of those doe hotspots. So if you're trying to choose where to hunt and you know you want to be hunting a doe hotspot in the morning, let's say a doe bedding area, but when you're trying to pick the spot to hunt around that doe bedding area, usually a good place to start is on the downwind edge of that because that's where the bucks are going to cruise and your scent can be blowing away from that back behind it. So think about that. Number one, one of those general filters to pass your potential hunting spots through is, is this a doe hotspot? Or number two, is this a funnel or pinch point? Is this where some kind of feature, whether that be cover, like how much, how many trees and bushes there are, or terrain, like is there a saddle and a ridge? Or is there 
a lake and a pond over here and just one narrow bridge of land in between it. If there's some way that the natural habitat funnels deer movement into a narrow area, you've got a, a significantly higher chance of encountering one of these bucks as they travel from doe hotspot to doe hotspot because they're moving more now than at any other time of the year. So if you can find where these concentrations of movement are, sit there, that's another great rut spot. Best case scenario, you find a funnel like this that's in between a couple doe hotspots. Then every buck that wants to get from point A to point B has to pass through this narrowed area where you can hunt. Again, try to think about wind. Try to make sure you're downwind of that point these deer are going to be passing. But this is a high-level concept that we always talk about when it comes to the rut simply because it, it works. So when you're confused or when you're frustrated or when you're bouncing around seven different stand site ideas for your next rut hunt, look at these two principles of rut success. Does it fit idea one? Does it fit idea two? If it doesn't, maybe you're overthinking things. Now, that's about where to hunt. The next and maybe most important principle of rut hunting success, I think, is the mental side of things. And we talked about this last week. We had this conversation with Ryan Holiday all about these different ways to deal with adversity and perseverance and learning from failure and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's important to the entire hunting season, but never more so than during the rut. Because at this time of year, at least for if, you, if you're like me, this is the case. Because if you're like me, you look at the rut as the two or three weeks where you've saved up your vacation days for this time. You're going to put in all your eggs into this basket. This is when it's supposed to happen, right? This is when, you know, fireworks are supposed to be going off in the woods. So you got to be out there as much as possible. And there's a certain amount of pressure that goes with that too. And then if you want to hunt these days the way, you know, you should spend as many hours in the tree as you can for as many days as you possibly can, that is a lot of work. It's a lot of 3.30 a.m. wake-up calls, and that's a lot of long walks to the tree stand and setting up stands or saddles or whatever, climbing up there with your sticks. It's sitting in the tree for 12 or 13 hours straight, and it's freezing cold and rainy and windy, and you're you're tired and you're exhausted and you haven't ate enough and you haven't drank enough, and it sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's exciting, sometimes it's frustrating, things go wrong, and then you get home that night and you have to, you know, do the chores around the house and put the kids to bed and get work done. And then you're back up three hours later to do it all over again. And you've got 10 more days of that. Um, that can be a grind. Now it's, it's the best kind of grind, right? We love it. We live for this. We've dreamed about it. This is what we have looked forward to all year, but it's still, it's still tough. It is not an easy thing. And so if you are dedicated to this thing and not saying you have to be, you can be a deer hunter and just go out there a few times here and there for a weekend, and, and that can be a fun release. That's totally fine. Go for it. Have a good time. I'm glad you're doing it. But if you are kind of the nutty version of a whitetail hunter like I am and a lot of my buddies and, and a lot of you I know are, if this is your thing and you are dedicated to this goal, then this is the grind that you have to be prepared to, to go through. And that challenge and that work, that is part of it. And so the the for lack of a better term, the, the boys are separated from the men or the wheat separated from the chaff, whatever chaff or whatever you want to call it. This is where, this is where the separation happens is if you can just be a big talker about this, or can you actually be a big walker and push through the grind? This is where, this is where it happens. So can you persevere? Can you remember that? Yeah, it's been seven days and I haven't seen a shooter buck 
but I know I have to keep going and I know I need to stay positive because things can change. When tough things happen, when you drop your bow, when you miss a deer, when you, I don't know, when the neighbor shoots the buck you were after, when you've had 10 days of not seeing any deer, when all these things happen, how are you going to handle it? This is, this is what we talked about last week, right? It's, it's how do you bounce back from something like that? Do you get so focused on the mistake or the karate thing that happened that you lose your momentum and your edge? Or do you say, okay, yeah, that thing happened. The obstacle is the way, right? This is what we talked about. The obstacle is the way. This thing happened. Can I be frustrated? Yes. But the bad thing, the challenge, the bump in the road, that's not going to break me. That's going to be my next step. That's going to lead me to the next level of growth. Or that's going to take me to you know, be one step closer to achieving my goal. This, this just happened to me the other day. So I'm kind of in the middle of my rut grind. I started last week hunting public land in Ohio. Just dealt with a bunch of hunter pressure, hunting pressure, never got any good deer, just basically scouted for four days. Uh, it was frustrating, but that, that just kind of is what it is. So that, that happened. Then I came back and started hunting some of my local properties in Michigan that I've been saving for this time of year. I've been very excited to try to get after Tran, my number one buck, two other nice mature bucks in this area that I want to get after. So been hunting some edge stuff. Well, I got access to a little area that I haven't been able to hunt in the past. So I've been waiting for the right wind to get in there. And I knew that it was going to be great because there's a, there's a standing cornfield there that had just been cut and still is in the process of being cut. So I, I know this is the absolute best, hottest food source right on the edges from the very best bedding that I know my target buck lives in. You want to be there. You want to be in between it, right? Right on the edge of that bedding, in between the bedding and the cover. So I finally had the right wind for this last night. I slip in super duper quiet. There's a light drizzle. So I was able to get in there quietly. I took a really long route around to get in there to make sure my wind didn't blow anything out. I scouted my way into the edge and saw more fresh sign than anywhere I've seen all year. I mean, probably 15, 10 to 15 fresh scrapes, big, like brand new, fresh, no leaves in them scrapes that were made all around this spot I wanted to hunt. Big rubs, the biggest rubs I've seen in this area yet this year. I mean, this is where he's at. And I'm I'm jacked. This is what I've been dreaming of. So I slowly ease my way in, considering the wind, trying to be conservative to make sure I'm not going to blow into that bedding air, but at the same time put myself in a position that I can get a shot in the areas. I think he's going to travel down this inside edge between this thick grassy cover and the trees and then the corn. Finally find a tree, get all set up, get up there. I'm feeling great, feeling confident, texting my buddies saying, man, this could happen tonight, et cetera, et cetera. Then the wind dies more than it was supposed to. And then the wind shifts different than it was supposed to. And instead of a southwest, it starts edging to straight west. And I'm getting concerned. I'm tossing milkweed up. I'm like, oh, no, please no. Oh, no. And then it shifts more and it starts going northwest right towards that bedding area. I'm thinking, oh no, please no, don't let this be the case. And as this is happening, the rain's coming down. It's been raining. It went from a drizzle to more of a steady rain. So it's hard to hear things. Um, I'm throwing milkweed and looking at this and then I'm thinking, you know what? I think, I think I have to get out of here. It's down to two hours left of daylight. I'm in the best spot I've been in all year. This is the spot to kill the buck I've been dreaming of for three years. been following this deer, studying this deer, hunting this deer, playing cat and mouse with this buck for three years. I'm finally in the best spot I could possibly be in, I think, for right now in late October. And the freaking wind changes from what it was supposed to be and is now blowing to the worst place or close to the worst place. 
I need to get out. And then right at that moment, as I'm coming to the realization that I have to bail on my most highly anticipated hunt, I hear, wow, and I jump out of my saddle, basically. And, and to give you guys a little more context, I'm hunting inside the timber from a just-cut cornfield. I'm probably 30 yards into the timber, and then the bedding kind of thick stuff is another like 40 yards further inside from where I am. This crop field is on a different neighbor's land, right? So I hear this cow. I don't know how to make the sound. But basically, it sounds like a bow going off. And I jump out of my seat, and I turn, and I look out into that field, and I look down another fence row. And there, 60 yards away, unbeknownst to me this whole time, is a neighbor hunting. Shot a deer, basically right out from behind me. And this guy is not practicing any kind of scent control. This guy does not have any of the things that I obsess over to try to make sure that deer aren't winding me. Um, he's just out there and whatever. Um, so he shoots a deer, the deer goes running off, crashing off deer blowing everywhere. And then the wind continues to be bad. I'm sitting here realizing, okay, I've got this thing happening. He's blown into everything for sure. I was on the edge of the stuff. And what do you do? I mean, I now know that he's going to be blowing his scent into this thing the entire night. He's going to be tracking around the entire night. So basically this spot is blown up for the evening. So I ended up saying, okay, this spot's blown. The hunt's a bust. I might as well not blow up another place too. So I, I sat it out to the end of the night, went and chatted with my neighbor, helped him look for his arrow, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but point being, I went from the highest of highs thinking I'm in the spot to kill my buck. Finally, everything's come together. I went from that to now instead having – Two people's wind blowing into an area I didn't really want to be blowing. Uh, a guy walking all over the place. Uh, you know, every kind of commotion you could imagine is happening now. Not what I expected, not what I wanted. I could be frustrated. And I was frustrated, very frustrated. I was still frustrated this morning. I could stay that way. At the same time, I realized that nothing good's going to come from letting that continue. I can't let that take me out of the game. So now today, I got to shake it off. I got to keep at it, got to stay positive, and I got to remember that it can all change in a second. It could change tomorrow. It could change tonight. And after three hours hunting tonight, it's down to half hour left. It's down to 10 minutes left. It's down to four minutes left. It could change in a second right then. That is the rut. That's what you got to be thinking about. And that's what I would encourage all of you to do this season. So with that out of the way, let's hear from Andre DeQuisto. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have some incredible hunts in these coming days, and good luck. All right, back with me for part two of our discussion from earlier this year is Andre DeQuisto. Andre, thank you for making time to come back. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good and, and glad we can be having this conversation because back in August when we chatted last time, we covered a lot of interesting things, got a ton of feedback from people. People really enjoyed it, cool. but they wanted more. So uh, you got to give the people what they want, right? <laughs> right. I didn't realize it was that far away, August. Okay. Yeah, time flies, right? That that period of the year can go really quick. Um, so so yeah, that's that's what I want to do, Andre, is I want to try to cover some of the things we never got to last time and then maybe go deeper into a few things that people had follow up questions on. Um so if that all sounds good to you, I, I do think that a good place to start might be in your real life right now, which is how your 2020 hunting season is going. Are you, uh, are you willing to share with us how that season's gone so far? 
Yeah. What, what's the story? Well, it's been an absolute nightmare. So this is probably the first time I've ever started out season one not being able to even walk in the woods, look at anything, <laughs> at any time at all to scout or prepare. I'm still ordering socks in, still ordering broadheads in. Um, so I'm limping by with all my old equipment. I'm still hunting on my original 1.0 because I still can't get one for myself because uh, we've been so busy. Um, but other than that, the, for the hour, hour and a half, couple hours that I get to jump on early morning, evenings, um, I mean, I could have filled my tag probably 10 times over already, but um, not locating the caliber of deer yet that I want to hunt. So I was hoping this, this would be my big week. And it turns out that it's going to be the busiest week for all our products coming in and shipping out. So uh, I will become a rut hunter this year, probably. <laughs> and that's a, uh, a present to be yeah. sent to me. And that's something that traditionally you usually don't care for too much, right? No, I don't. I'm mean, not that I don't care for it. I mean, um, but seeing I don't have a target buck to go after right now, anyhow, I guess it's irrelevant. Um, um, Hopefully there's something out there, you know, I guess I got a lot of standing corn around or something out there that uh, will pique my curiosity or um, maybe we take care of some of these big, big, ugly eights that are running around on this property. I've been trying to get rid of for years. So So what do you do in a situation like that, though, where you just aren't finding the buck you want? How are you searching him out? Is it just you're running a ton of cameras? Are you observing every night? What's what's that? bunch of cameras out there um getting little bits and pieces of stuff that cody's posting online <laughs> <laughs> asking asking neighbors and other farmers uh, if they've seen anything anything good you know just your your traditional short little leads that you could get because um, i really haven't i did i did have a chance to take a walk uh the other day and and located what i what i like to locate is some just a massive uh rubs um Reopen, so that tells me there's some obviously some big mature dominant deer there, but it doesn't tell me the caliber they are. So um, all the things I've had pictures of so far are just um, you know some decent deer, but nothing nothing news shattering. So yeah. So then you're becoming a rut hunter. Uh, well, I will be. And you will be if I can't. Uh, yeah. Get it on here. Well, I guess that's a good point. Then let's let's. Tell me what you're going to do over this next week then. So the last handful of days in October, uh, what's that going to look like for you this year? So I was, uh, so I jumped on post uh, the other day, decided there was a pretty big eight duck could be taken out. And um, I I probably should have been there a day earlier. Checked on the cameras and, and there was a primary scrape there that about four bucks were battling over. I got all kinds of video on the camera and stuff and, and, um, so I went to set up on that, and I had two two bucks come down. One work is great, but not the uh, not the big one. So I'm concentrating on right now um, scrapes. It would be nice to know the caliber deer that's on them. So um, this deer will probably push 170 as an eight. Um, wow! And there's a couple other ones that are in that caliber, but um, uh, and these are traditionally the type of deer that will keep the ones you want off your property because they they take up space, um, pretty aggressive, but so the, the times that I'll get on early in for evening and mornings. Now, obviously I'd, I'd love to be able to sit later right now on some midday stuff. 
um, or later mornings. I'll just um, keep bumping around, keep checking cameras, and uh, in between work, get stands out, uh, coordinate things with the business, and and I think we're going to be all caught up by around November one. So that'll give me some time to get out and spend a little more um, time. There you go. Now these these late October hunts you mentioned focusing on those primary scrapes. Um, mm-hmm. Can you describe a little more in a little more detail what you mean by that? There's there's a lot of different people that use that term, but I found that everyone kind of envisions something a little bit different. What are these scrapes look like? Where are they located? These are active scrapes. There's a lot of there's, there's scrapes everywhere. Uh, everywhere you look, everywhere you walk, uh, up and down logging roads, um, there's scrapes. And a lot of those are like half-hearted scrapes where a deer will just be trugging down a logging road, running to where some doles went through and, and lay one down. These are traditionally scrapes that are there every year. Um, even in the spring, it looks like there's, you know, there's nothing working it, but it looks like there's a scrape there because they're just every year the same, same trees, um, same areas are, uh, and usually the you know, biggest dominant deer is running, running off that and other ones will, will work that same branch. So, um, yeah, and another note too, one of my, one of the best ones on this property was just that the farmer trimmed his, his, I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but he trimmed the lanes along the uh, fields and he cut, he cut the, the best primary on the whole property <laughs> branch off. So I don't know if I was going to try and do a lot of these guys do them and put some new branches in there and make it work. But it, uh, I just, just kind of let it go. And, um, uh, it was a tragedy, but yeah, so that's what I'll be concentrating on those scrapes. Uh, again, I got a picture of something that, uh, is probably the biggest that I've seen. So, um, and then we'll just, and the stuff's starting to move now where it was a short, short movement. These deer are starting to travel more and work more scrapes. And then, um, so you're going to get some stuff that you probably haven't seen some stuff spilling off the neighbors or that might've been on the border property starting to work, uh, you know, work some of these, uh, scrapes that are on the property so yeah when you're setting up on a when you're setting up on a scrape like that are you setting up to be within shooting range of the scrape or are you trying to set up on like a downwind access route how do you how do you think through that no yeah you never want to do that the old downwind theories of of days gone past where a deer will send check a scrape that's that's all bullshit because i've I'd sit down wind of a scrape and I'd have a deer come in from the total opposite direction, work the scrape and leave without being able to get shot. So you want to be able to shoot that scrape, but you got to have your A game on. Um, and right now you'll, you'll see in your cameras are, they're just, most of it was after dark. Now they're starting to get right after dark. And in this next week now, they're going to get just a little earlier and early enough um, where they'll be there, you know, in daylight hours. So this is the week to, to capitalize on it. Um, and like I said, last night I had one, I could have, uh, one of these smaller bucks that was working that area came in and worked, uh, one of the scrapes off of that big one. Um, which I also could shoot from that tree. So, uh, I might even give that now we just got a fresh snow. Uh, he didn't show last night. I might give that one more, one more shot here. Um, before I start heading to some stuff, um, wandering into some stuff a little closer to food sources. Now we got snow on the ground, a little nastier weather. So, yeah. So when do you switch to more of a, you know, when you move away from the scrapes and focus on core rut stuff, is that like November 1st on the dot or is something uh, else going to tell last you? Last year it ended up around that, that time. Usually, um, 
you just get a feel for what's going on on the property with the activity of the deer. Um, like now your deer are feeding heavy, they're still in the cornfields and all that. And these deer are out searching and putting down other scrapes for, um, for groups of deer that are in different areas. So they're traveling more. So now you can, you can be on some of those scrapes or on field edges where the, or where a lot of the does are starting to, um, or are feeding. And then some of them bucks will start coming out. And it seems like they move earlier and earlier and all of a sudden uh, they're up and they're moving and, and they don't stop moving. So um, I was hoping last night and I thought it was going to happen because one of the bucks that, that came in down there obviously got booted out off the uh, mountaintop there from another deer and he come running through like a scared little <laughs> uh, little bee. And, uh, and I thought for sure that thing would come down and work that scrape, but it never did. And I was hoping another buck would come in and get on that scrape where he would see that then get uh get a gander up and come on down but never never came off the the mountain so um now they'll start moving out and moving earlier and and they'll be a little tougher to pin them on the the actual one scrape you know so yeah so once november does hit and it's it's feeling like the rut's on um now i know you say that the rut has been frustrating for you in the past because you like to be after one specific buck but in this kind of case where you don't have the one specific buck that your heart set on which is a situation that a lot of people listening are in right they just want to kill any good buck um what is it then yeah so what are you what are you doing once the rut hits what does your day and your setups look like so i still scout during that that time because certain areas and spots that the farm will will heat up uh but their traditional stand setups or locations that you know from time tested or you read the sign uh you want to be set up in those spots proper with the wind and the whole goal is that anything that comes through there um you are able to kill so let's say you set up on a spot like that and you get a bunch of deer come through and nothing that you want to shoot as long as everything that came through could have got an arrow in it and um, you could have been successful on filling a tag, it was a successful fit. You just had to, you know, uh, and, and the biggest thing, the hardest thing for me is to make a last-minute decision because uh, we got a lot of rack bucks around here and, and big rack bucks. of It's the one you want, and that's very, very hard to do on the fly. So it's really nice to identify something with a camera before and you know you know, when you see that deer, you, you know, you get yourself in, in go mode and you're, um, you're, uh, you're ready when it comes through. Otherwise you're just, you know, right to the last minute, you're going to make have to make a split decision whether you want to harvest that deer or not, you know? So, um, and guys make the mistakes. So as a matter of fact, just a buddy of mine, just, uh, all happened real quick and he's got a deer in the ground. That's nice, but not all that big that he wished he would have, <laughs> you know, wish you would have took a second look or uh-huh. had an opportunity to figure it out, but it's just, it's more than what he wanted, you know? So, yeah. Um, and that happens a lot. So you mentioned that you're still scouting at this point, looking for sign. What's the sign that matters for you during the rut? Cause we covered a lot about what matters to you in October, but is that different at all now? Dear, uh, so there's obviously it's, it's, it's been raining here. Like a, I think we had six inches in the last few days. There's, Mud everywhere. You can read sign. A blind man could read sign right now. Um, I am going to concentrate on big groups of does now, where all the does are feeding, where they're at. Uh, for in a little bit, they'll probably go into hiding mode. Uh, but wherever those wherever those does are now and feeding now, there's going to be a lot of bucks 
wandering around, poking around, uh, even though the does aren't ready. Um, so I'm going to concentrate on spots like that that are heating up. Um, freshly picked cornfield over here. Uh, your alfalfa is dying out a little bit now. Our clover's still kicking in pretty good. Um, so they're they're feeding a lot in that you know clover field. Uh, and then we got some turnips and radishes in. Those will start kicking in. So um, you know you start getting a lot of those feeding on that. You're going to want to be hunting basically those spots. Um, even though you're not hunting the does, them bucks will be there and they'll be, you know, out in the fields, uh, sniffing around and shagging them. So, and that's mostly for evenings on those food sources, or even will you be close to that even for those morning sits? Evenings, you could be on those spots, even depending upon your moon phases in the mornings, but, uh, traditionally off of those spots in the morning where they're coming back to bed. Yeah. So now, be, let's say you're back in the timber, you know, those deer are out there all feeding and they're going to be trickling back in, um, uh, to bed in the morning. And now they're starting to, uh, especially when the corn starts coming down they're starting to have a, a little bit longer of a, uh, a run back to bedding instead of bedding right where they're at. Um, a lot of them deer have been just living in that corn most of the year, you know, just parking it there, eating and, and milling around. So. Do you do anything different once that corn comes down? Does that flip any switches for you? Because I know across a lot of parts of the country that's happening right now. It's, it's happening for me on a proper dam hunt. Yeah, they, it's it's nice because it, you know, well, downside is most of my corn's out and all my neighbors are still in, which is a very bad thing. So uh, once all the corn comes down, that cuts your more than half your cover that those deer can be in is gone. So that just it just makes it an easier easier hunt um if you got corn in all year you can have bucks living in that corn most of all you know then those could be out in there and it's just a little tougher tougher to get to them so yeah so those those the food sources you mentioned like a recently cut corn field or a turnip field or alfalfa or, or whatever mm-hmm. um you mentioned usually going to hunt those in the evenings can you walk me through how you would specifically set up a stand to be hunting one of those food sources because some people might hear you say that and think that you're just randomly on the edge of the field. Uh, I'm guessing, uh, I don't know. Are you thinking about certain things with how deer getting downwind of the food source or areas where you can find a wind safe position you know, whatever, or wherever your ambush site is, you just, you're, you gotta make sure your, your wind is, is right for that. I'm, I'm on, uh, I'm on one of my favorite food source spots, uh, corn to the left of me, over field to the right. I'm on a hedgerow in a pine eight feet off the ground. That's just stark naked. That's strategically located where I can even get some, uh, on the right wind with the right speed. I can get the wind literally blown, blown over the top of deer that are coming downwind to me and up. And it's just, it's phenomenal. I'm not even in the timber. I'm, I'm kind of out on the edges of it. Um, and that's what's really nice about that is you can get a glimpse at something that you wouldn't normally see. If you're just inside the woods, uh, all of a sudden you see, you know, a big old buck pop out way at the end of the clover field, chase a few does around and jump back in. Um, that's some great intel to have the slide over the next day and, and make a move on it. Where if you're, a lot of guys like to stay back in the timber a little bit, catch them coming out. You don't see half of what, um, um, you know, what you're learning on, on post. And I, I don't know if a lot of guys know that, but years ago I was a big, big field edge hunter. I mean, I spent every evening was on a, uh, a field edge and never even really went back into the timber and stuff. And so you get a chance to learn a lot on, from that and, um, um, some exciting hunting. 
Yeah. Uh, now, what we kind of talked about this in August, but I want to just bring it up again and really specifically focus on during the rut. And that is the scenario you just described there where you're sitting somewhere and you see a buck pop out and he chases a doe off the food plot or the field and he's back in the timber. So you saw a buck you want to shoot and you saw him do something. So in a lot of cases, I'd say, all right, go there and hunt there the next day. But right. in this case, pre rut. Yeah, it's pre rut. So so tell me now. Now you just saw him chasing a doe. It could be random, right? Would you would you move over there? So you could kinda, you? Yeah, if it's small bucks shagging around, you can kind of tell when the um uh but that might be a, a just an area that that deer is coming to frequent that field to see what's on it and then and then popping off. Um those does, if you can identify or or see a group of does where a does coming into heat. That's like having live bait for you. So traditionally, that doe will not get bred for four days. She'll, she'll have the stink where the, the buck will know it's getting close. Um, and those deer are not like the rut where they change their, their patterns. They still go to their bedding and their feeding. So you can kind of, if you know that section of your area or woods and you know where them, them deer traditionally come to that field and go back on that corner, you know, there could be four other groups of deer coming that, go off totally different ways to bed and, and coming from different ways. So now, you know, that buck is concentrating on those doles. So you go over there and you, you put yourself in that corridor. Um, you got a portable stand, you go over there, you see what the, you know, which, what trails are really, uh, heavy, you know, you get, uh, get downwind of them, situate your spot and you, you hunt them. Um, so, okay. This is, this is important. I think you're basically saying that while you might not be able to usually pattern a buck during the rut, you can pattern the does. And yeah. when you know that a group of does or one of them within a family group is either in heat or sure seems like it's close and you know where those does spend the time, focus on that spot for the next few days. And you, you, you kind of pattern a buck by doing that. Yeah. Right? Cause you really can't, you really can't pattern a buck at that time here. They just are, you're, like I think I mentioned that in somebody else's podcast, but you, they don't know what they're doing the next day. It could be, you know, once that sh- shit starts hitting the fan, it's uh, it's pretty chaotic, and it's weird that you, you know, you got these deer, they're patterned, they're in certain areas, these bucks, and as they start branching out and traveling more, uh, they're just, man, they're off on tangents, you know, and they don't know what they're going to run into. And, um, so you're kind of... Uh, like I said, right now a good, is a good time to, um, they're still, still working those scrapes. Uh, but once it gets to the point where these those start coming a little bit, those scrapes are really hit or miss. And I, I don't like to, um, burn up a lot of time on them, you know, unless they're right in a corridor where the deer are traveling. Um, then obviously if a buck's coming through, he'll, he'll work it. But, um, yeah, you could pattern, uh, you pattern them those pattern that spot, get that spot and then just, just hunt it. That's, uh, now is that more Seriously of a th- what it was done. is that more of a thing that just works at the very beginning of the rut? I'm I'm wondering if once you're in November 10th and 80 percent of the does are yep. in heat, it probably isn't as effective because because no. everything's lit up, right? So then then what you want to do is now you're going to look now you're going to locate a, a doe that's literally in heat and the the bucks are dogging her. She could be bred in a couple days. Uh, you're going to have not one buck on her. You're going to have a shitload of bucks and that and that little. Uh, I don't know if you ever experienced it during a rut, you'll be on a, wherever you're at your lease, your property. And all of a sudden for two, three days, four days, the thing just, it's just ice cold. It's like a ghost town. Um, 
it was like on fire for a minute and then just pull. Mm-hmm. Well, all those bucks might be on one dole that's going into heat and just trailing her and telling her and wherever the hell she's at or traveling to, uh, that's where they're at. So you have to have the wherewithal to go find that um, situation. It's pretty pretty easy with scouting uh, and i do the old bump and dumb at that time you'll uh, you'll jump a bunch of bucks in a draw or in a certain spot um and if there's a bunch of them there and, and some of them may even moving or running off you kind of know that you're in the right draw so you could uh, um you know you can set up and hunt hunt that spot and if you're not if you're on the other side of the farm you'll you'll burn up two three days and not and literally not see a see a thing and I don't know if you've experienced it, but I've had as many as, you know, 10, 12 bucks all in one draw, um, trying to get a hold of one dough that's, that's coming in, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and this is one of those things that I want to dive deeper into. Cause you mentioned this, uh, real lightly, uh, last time, but talk to me a little bit about the scenario where you would do this. So I know you said, okay, it's during the rut and it's cold and cold by like, you're not seeing a lot of activity. So is there a certain window like dates? Is it, is this a thing that from November no, 7th no, to 15th is a feeling? <laughs> okay. A, yeah. You'll be sitting there. It's like, Jesus Christ, you know, this is, this is insane. You're sitting here. And it's just, uh, you're thinking, you know, you're in your traditional good spots. Good. Uh, and it just, it just stuff just goes, uh, just goes cold on you and you just, um, you got to find out where the action's happening, you know, and it's, and it's happening somewhere. Um, and sadly, if you got the small piece, it could be happening on somebody else's deal and you're, you're stuck just waiting for right. it, um, waiting for it to happen. So are there any specific kinds of places that you are going when you're trying to find where this rut fest is happening? Is it, are you going to walk well, randomly know, or hit each bedding area or what? I know, um, like on this property, you know, and, and with experience of hunting a, a spot, you should, over the, over the years, you should learn those. We have an area here that uh, there's a long, drawn-out, really thick, nasty cedars, grass. It's an old pasture area that literally comes to a long, drawn-out point and ends up going nowhere. It comes to all open fields. And at that time of year, them does just, they all, everything gets pushed down into that tight point, it's like really thick where they can kind of hide and try and shake them dolls. And it just, it just lights up like you wouldn't believe uh, in that corner. And you will just see big buck after big buck, just heading down into that corner, shopping for something and heading back out, you know, looking if they're, if they're in there, if they're stacked in or, uh, and I have had numerous, numerous big deer, um, in that spot. And now I already have, now I have stands set, uh, for where they come in and out of there. So it's, it's a really nice set. Um, I got a buddy coming out this year. I'm going to put him on that spot and he'll, he'll have himself a good time. So, um, kind of an, it's thick, but it's grassy thick with mixed pines. So where you're sitting, you can see a lot, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you're not real high in a stand, but you get a chance to see all the action. And, uh, and some of the spots are where you're, you're so thick of the pines that it really sucks. Cause it's, it just happens all of a sudden, boom, there's, you know, there's 160 some inch bucks sitting right there and you didn't even have time to react or get ready. And, you know, you got about two seconds to, to make a move or it's, or it's gone type of thing. So I hate those spots, but there are some that are, that are really good that a guy just has to sit, you know, uh, let's say then we, we are searching for a place like that. 
let's, you know, I, I went out, it's been a lousy two days of rut hunting and I'm thinking to myself, okay, there must be something going on somewhere else. So I'm going to try to find it. I'm getting aggressive. So I'm walking around like you're describing. I'm checking out some of these nasty, grassy, thick spots and I find it. I, I get in there yep. and I, all of a sudden two bucks go running off and I see a doe squirt out and, and I'm thinking, okay, this might be what we're talking about. Can you tell me yep. how you set up in that spot? Like, cause that, do you yep, want to walk through at, it all and see it? Do you uh, stop well, you right can, then? You're, you're there. So you found a mother load. Now you just, you know, you look for the, a beat trail or a sign that's it, that's good with the with the wind there, and you get on that uh, you get on that that trail, and you set up and you you sit tight. Uh, I've had a lot of times where I'd be setting up a stand, and uh, um, sometimes I'll run and, and grab a stand and, and and bring one back in and, and set up on that. And I've had a lot of times where I'd have a stand with me, and as I'm setting up, lo and behold, a freaking deer come piling right back in through, and um, you got. <laughs> You got a buck standing there watching you set up your, your stand too. So, <laughs> yeah. um, that's why I traditionally like to stay kind of low and, um, and kind of out of the way. But, uh, yeah, when you find those little, uh, little honey holes, I've done it a lot of times. I've pushed them all out of there, got in my stand and boom, they all come just, you know, toward evening. Even if they went and bed in a little further, they just come, come pile out of there. Um, those bucks, all kinds of stuff. So how long will you give a spot like that? Will you hunt it for, Two more days? Will you sit on it for a while? A spot like that, you're gonna you'll, you'll you'll capitalize on it right away. You're in the you're in the shed. It's gonna happen right then that night. You're on the red hot sign. Um, if it's if it takes two days, those deer they're not there. They they headed off, or uh, who knows what the hell happened? You know. Okay. Um, might have ran across the road. You might have chased the door across the road or something back in there, and then uh, some other big guy got onto it, and and they're battling over there. But traditionally, um. When that doe's when they're tending that doe, they're gonna they don't give a shit what you are, um, as long as you're not bumping and spooking the doe and a lot of times they don't the doe's don't even seem to care. I've almost had that assumption that some of them doles literally bring them bucks by you, hoping the frickin' that you can get the hell that, that thing off their ass to get pounded <laughs> so bad, you know. So yeah. help me um, out. <laughs> but it's uh yeah, it's weird. It's and they don't give a shit. If they got a hot doe, they can see you, they can um they ain't leaving her side. Wherever she's going, she's they're following. Yeah. What about what about a situation like you personally might find yourself in, where you go and you find one of these hot spots you're hunting, and you're in the middle of it. There's a doe running around. There's seven bucks all over the place, but none of them are the buck you want. Do I'm you? Done. So you, you're not going to hang around just in case a big no, one? Absolutely not. Wow. So like early season this year, I'm 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 sitting observation post. Nothing's going on yet. Everything's, uh, I go into certain fields that I got food plots, alfalfa, and I sit back and I watch. And, um, let's say I got five, seven bucks all out in the field feeding, a uh, bunch of does out there. None of them are acknowledging each other. They're just on the feed. It's, it's second week of October. I basically know that what I've seen that night there is what that place has to offer. And I, I just get down and I go look at the next spot. And then I, uh, so I went to another spot that, well, it was actually spot three. And that's where I located three monstrous, uh, eight points right off of one of our food plots. Just, um, uh, and you'll see some of the stuff on white pill addictions this year. I got it uh, on video, but, um, you know, it's pretty excited. I've seen some nice cages coming out and shit and, um, and they're all freaking eights, <laughs> big, just heavy eights. 
Uh, so I kind of know that that's what that spot has to offer. So I kept bouncing the little bit of time that I had. Um, uh, matter of fact, I think that one spot I had to come back to one time because I got a call, a truck was coming. I had to get down at a half hour before dark and go unload a truck, which, um, just about killed me. But that yeah. last half hour could have been where maybe a Magnum would have came out and I had a glimpse of them. So I didn't get the Intel that I really wanted there. Uh, but normally, like I said, you, you, you weed through it. Uh, most guys are, they ain't leaving that, you know, they're parking their ass or seeing them deer. That's, they're not leaving that spot. And, um, and I'll sit a stand that'll have a shitload of 150s come through and I'll get down and I won't come back because there's just not what I'm looking for, uh, in that spot. So, man. Yeah. Well, you know what you want and uh, gotta go find it. I get that. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer, and it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. What about... uh the next scenario in here where you, you found this pocket of excitement and you do see a buck you want, but he's locked on that dough hard and yeah. you know, they're not, they're not coming your way. Do you walk me through what you're doing? Are you going to throw the, throw the book at him with every call and rattling sequence you got? Do you nah, 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 nah. chase him down? I've done a little of that stuff, but all the call and rattling you want, you ain't taking that, that buck off that dough. You're going to have to, so let's say 
Maybe it's a doe that you know. Maybe it's a doe you've seen before and you can identify and you know her travel routes or where, you know, you just try and get on that corridor. Um, a good calling card for you to, to key in on is when a, when a big dominant deer, if he's got other bucks harassing, trying to get to her, they will leave some aggressive, aggressive rubs on those trails that, that doe is using. And that's when you find that just you sit that trail because you're you're going to get your crack the next day. That doe's going to come through there, and he's going to be on there. And I've uh, seen that just dozens of times over the years. So um, you can get some good intel that way. It's still so a little, still a little bit of uh, scouting. Um, I've already grabbed a stand, freaking ran around almost like I was elk hunting, and tried to set up um, where there was more of a pinch point, thinking that doe was heading that direction. She'd go through, and I just I'd just be off a little too far and they'd head through and head up somewhere else. So, um, but I don't know if, how you could call a buck off a doe that's in heat he's got. Why would he want to do anything but um, hang with her, you know? So, yeah, he's got what he wanted. Yeah. So you would you'd go back in there as soon as you possibly could and get set up on that corridor somehow well, that's going to be so him. let's say like i said it's let's say it's a four-day window let's say he's on two day two you have to get on you have to be on that trail um that that those using and he will be following not not far behind so uh and if you miss it you miss it if he breeds her then he's off running somewhere else and he's not on that spot and you just that's the rut is just a it's uh it's a total luck and, and percentage game and it, and it really is in the in the uh, favor of a guy, the hunter, you know, most of that's why most of these guys love the rut because you can, you can get out there and get a crack every day at, at bucks that are traveling. There's not, you know, I'm just more tuned to one that I want. Uh, but if I had to feed my family or just get a deer, um, I think I mentioned it many a times, I'll have a buck that'll get up and it'll go by, you know, 10 or six different, seven different, different sets on a property in one night. Yeah. Uh, where before you can get it, you can get them to go by one, yeah, a little spot. So it's really um, best for if you want to fill a tag and harvest. Um, and it's probably your best bet for the buck of your life, too, because at that time of year, some of them deer that, you know how big deer are there, um, they don't move a lot. They're they're hung up in their own area. They're solitary. They don't make a lot of, you know, and now they're up playing and getting stupid and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. So they're, they're, their guard's just leaving herself wide open, you know. So yeah, it'd be your um, it'd be into your advantage to be in the woods every freaking minute you could at that time of year. Yeah, and and is that what it looks like for you? I I think I remember hearing so, at some point that you don't like to hunt all day, or you used to, but don't anymore. Is that yeah, right? I can't I can't hunt all day. That's just too long of a. Uh, you know, and it's it's one thing if you go on a hunt. Here's the big dilemma: with I own my own farm here and run a business and have farming. If I was away for a week and just hunting, I could sit a whole day, but I'd never sit in the same stand a whole day. I would sit in three, three different spots throughout the day to break it up. Um, but a lot of time, you know, those spots too, these all day hunts, I could tell you the, the two or three hour window, you're going to see your damn deer on that whole day sit. And I used to tell my buddy that all the time. I you know, he's, He'd sit all freaking day. I'd see my action, and then uh, early and late, and he'd see just 
one set of action too during the day. So, um, but this rut time, those deer, they get up and they're moving. Even when the does are better, they're searching. They're they're just they're just traveling a lot more. So it's it really is to your advantage to um, to be in there. And I get down way too early. A lot of that, a lot of times, some bucks will let those does go back to bed. Everything let it settle down, and that's when they get up and start shagging and running big, um, you know, big miles and putting some miles on to look for for does going to heat that they haven't got one already. You know. Yeah. So do you ever hunt midday anymore? Is that something you ever tried keying on somewhere? Yeah, when I do, and oh, I was getting back to, I lost the point of that is that when you're hunting out of your own home, you know how it is. There's something always comes up. You're trying to do something a little bit before you go, just like we are right now. We're trying to get this podcast done. So we both get in the woods, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. Then I got to run their shop. I got to do some, you know, see what they're doing there, making sure they're building the right stuff. And then um, you just get, you're not really hunting full, full scale. You're, you're juggling stuff where if you're out on a hunt or um, just strictly there hunting what's in somebody's piece and you're, you're spending your whole time doing that, you're a lot more effective. But to get to that point, if the moon phase says activity at 1230 in the afternoon, like when I used to in October, I'd sit, uh, I'd be taking corn out or my crops out. Um, and, you know, I'd have to unload trucks at prime time in the evening or he'd want to get going right away in the morning. I could dive out for an hour and a half in midday and get a, get a little sit in or something like that. So, um, it's just a long, that's a long day in one stand. I've never yeah. been real patient. Um, to be able to do that. I always found it was more beneficial to get down and look around than it is to sit, um, scout, scout, scout hunt, you know? So yeah. you mentioned the moon phase. This is something that I know you've, you've put a lot of weight uh, behind over the years. We didn't really touch on it in our previous conversation. Can you, can you walk me through uh, what it is you're keying in on when it comes to the moon phase or, or times um, and how that changes your strategy? The, the general, um, so I don't ever let it be an excuse for not getting in the woods. I'd probably use it for an excuse to stay a little longer or, you know, so, so if I hunt and I traditionally get down at, 9.30 or 10 earlier in October, and it says that, you know, there's going to be activity at 10.30, 11.30. I'll sit the extra hour um, and watch it. But traditionally, your uh, um, your deer will move, and then they move a little later every day, a little later every day. So you can kind of follow that around, and it's, uh, you know, you're, you're back, you're doing your farming, and you're seeing deer out midday because that's the time they're up and moving midday, but you're doing what you're doing, you know, and you only got time to hunt in the morning. So it's, um, it's a little frustrating that I almost wish I didn't know about that. Cause it's like, eh, am I wasting my time here today? Or should I, um, you know, do that or sleep in and go out a little bit later. And then just the day you do that it ends up costing you big. So, um, hunt <laughs> as much <laughs> as you can, as often as you can. Yeah. Um, you can't kill them from, you know, you have a tractor in the hall. So true. And, and the moon, when you said when the moon times tells you to, you know, stay a little late or something, am I right in that the moon information you're paying attention to, you look at the red moon days, right? The dial is that? I just follow. So before even the moon charts, I, I, I got Adam Hayes dials that I've been following, yep. um, uh, that all that Murray studies they did. And it traditionally what I found before even that is, uh, uh, the closer to full moon, the later the deer move, when it gets full moon, they just move late and they're, they're coming out after dark. But traditionally on that, then your mornings 
are better late morning. So in the morning when you get in and go hunt right after sunup, a lot of those deer are bedded and they're not up and moving yet. And you, everybody that's hunted has seen that. You'll go into some time. I can go in, I go into the center of my property because it's the only way I can go in through a bunch of fields. And I could travel this whole property and not see a deer up on its feet, anywhere near the corn, any of the fields, get into my stand, and the shit won't happen until 9 o'clock. You know, it'll just, it just is not. And then there's other times that you'll go and you'll blow 40 deer out of the land because they are up feeding at that time early in the morning, right at sunup, and then heading back in. So you can kind of, uh, you can kind of use that as a guideline to when the most activity is and maybe how to get in a little different or use it to whatever advantage you can you know, you can, um, you can use it too. So, um, but one thing is that's usually on feeding and you gotta be also smart about it, that, um, the rut and big deer activity is totally different from this is, has nothing to do with feeding patterns. It's got nothing to do with anything, but, um, pecking order and rut. So, uh, you still have that information, but, uh, some of these deer, these big deer are out moving around because, not because the moon phase says they should be on feeding. It's because they're going checking scrapes or making scrapes, you know, early October and uh, maintaining a scrape line or things of that nature too. So um, you got to take that all into account, you know? Yeah. So basically once you get to this part of the year and into November, there's, there's bigger forces at play is kind of what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, you want to, um, like I said, them bucks are up and they're moving, they're moving just about all day. Or, yeah. uh, they're still bedding somewhere here or that, but they're they're up and they're poking around if they ain't got a doze, and it's, it's, uh, um, they can come through anywhere at any time. So, so I, here's a very specific scenario for you that I actually encountered recently, and I'm just kind of curious how you would think about it. Um, basically, there's a I spotted a buck that I, I think it was a very brief sighting, um, just a flash, but I think it was a target buck. But okay. he was doing something that I wouldn't expect him to do. He was heading kind of into a little tiny little little bedding pocket, like a quarter acre little pocket um, where it was next to a dirt field that got disked under. It's not where the really good stuff is. So he went, he, he dove into this little tiny pocket on an evening hunt while I would have thought that if he was going anywhere, he'd be going to another part of the property that I could also see where uh, they're cutting the corn right now. So the snare I'm looking at is, okay, I know that with the corn being cut right now that most every deer is going to be flocking to that cut cornfield. So you would think that the best place would be would be somewhere near that. But you just had this sighting of a buck you're after on the other side, um, going into a random place that you wouldn't have thought to hunt except for the fact that you just saw him there. Would you hunt the random spot where you just saw him or would you say, eh, that was probably a fluke. I should focus on the spot where probably he'll be. Absolutely not. I always go with what, what, what my eyes have seen and told me, not what preconceived perfect scenarios and conditions are. I've found so many huge bucks. Uh, that I hunted years ago um, in Wisconsin in spots just like that, heavy plowed fields. You could barely even walk across them and a bucket go better in them spots and nobody's. Just to walk to that little stick of the brush out there, uh, you'd break your ankles trying to get to, yeah. <laughs> get to there. <laughs> uh, now, 
if do you think he was diving in there to bed that he was just going to go in there and that's where he's going to lay low or did you think he was just traveling from point a to point b or i mean that's that's the thing is it's hard to say because he he was leaving where i thought his traditional bedding area would be and he was and this was in the this was like an hour more than an hour before dark in the evening and so he's leaving the main bedding area and was going into this little tiny kind of secondary doe bedding area. So my thought was that if if that was actually him, like I think it was, maybe he was just checking out one of these little tiny doe pockets and then circling down. I'd have, the next day I would have been in that, set up in that little uh, thicket for him maybe to do that same thing. Maybe that's the, the route he's taken from, maybe that's not his territory the other way, all that prime shit, and he has to go to that little plot across another plow field into another whole area of woods where his travel route is going out at night that way. Yeah. Um, and that's a little, uh, stepping stone to get there. So, um, yeah, if you thought he was bedding there, you can actually just go blow him out of there too in the middle of the day and see if he is, yeah, was bedding in there and held up or, and then a spot like that too. Sometimes you don't want to hunt them where they're at. You want to hunt them where they're going. So, um, you know, maybe you leave, that's not going to be a good deal for you to go across that plowed field. And there's not enough in there to set a stand. If you've seen where he came out, you get on the edge of that and you wait for him to make that move and head that direction again. And you can go over there on a plowed field where you've seen him come out, go over there and take a look and see the tracks he left behind. If there's three or four sets of him going that way, he's doing that pretty damn consistently. And you know that you've, you found something that nobody else is going to even think you got the honey hole, man. You just got, you know, um, there it's, it's been, uh, <laughs> keyed up for you already to, uh, to go do it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna that that that's that happened last night. So I'm I'm going out there tonight and uh, and gonna gonna go over to that spot where I saw him because, like you said, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, it seems like you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't. Well, here's the worst. What's worst? Worst kind of scenario? You sit on the field edge. He comes out again. That's not worst case. It's probably best case, and you kill the, the damn thing going out. Yep. You sit there. And you don't see him come out that way tonight. And then you get down or you, before you go, I would even look around and check them tracks. You get pretty excited if you see that there's a trail actually started on the beginning of that beat uh, plowed field. And he's yeah. heading that way. Now, you know, you got him coming that way. Yeah. Uh, now you're just going to be concerned that he gets out there early enough where I think it's getting to where they're moving a little worse right now. If I, if I recall, um, it's at, like getting later and later, but, uh, and you know, you learn something, you sit it and you take a shot at it. Uh, that's a buck worth killing. So would you rather be sitting there with a chance at that or on the busy field with a shitload of does and small bucks and, um, having a good old time looking at all that action or, <laughs> yeah, or getting out to where you want <laughs> what you want sitting there. Look, you know, yeah, I'd guys. take a shot at that for sure. So, yeah. That's that seems to be the thing to do. So it seems like it's either going to be one of those sits where I see nothing or I see the one I want and, and I guess when you're after a buck like that, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, yep, there's this, and there's nothing wrong with seeing nothing a day or something where you learn something new or. Yeah. I want to, I want to rewind the tape just a little bit back to a follow-up question I had when it comes to the, the buck locked on a doe situation. Cause this mm-hmm. is, this is something I want to make sure we covered. You talked about the fact that when you see that you should move right in there into that whatever that most likely travel corridor is for that doe and be there to hopefully intercept them coming back or forth um, again the next day. Uh, but how long will you, 
how long will you give a spot like that? Would you say just the next day or would you give it a couple days because it might be two, three days there together? That's, uh, um, if it's like I said, to rub on a trail, that's a, I mean, uh, it's happening right then and there. It's, you know, you're, you're doing that. You're, you're setting up, you're hunting, right? You know, it's almost like there isn't a delayed time to a scenario like that. You're not getting, um, times of the essence, you know, once, once he breeds that doe and it's, uh, he'll take her out somewhere that, um, nobody's getting to no other bucks and other people and in a breeder it's, and it's over. So you just, you capitalize on sign as quick as you can. Uh, just like you did there, you've seen something, you move on it now tonight. Then you see something else from there, you, you move on it. You don't, you don't backpedal and you don't wait. Um, uh, you want to be on a red hot sign. Yeah. Virgin sit and you'll, you'll be in the game. Um, like you've never been before you your opportunities and your chances are just going to start going up for you. Um, I'm, I'm seeing it on our page. Dude. I'm, I'm reading stories from guys that been him hauling around for 10 years, six years. They got mobile, they got aggressive. They went in it and they got it freaking done. Um, you know, what's your level of aggression? It's, it's hunting, you know, go hunt them down and, um, you're literally like a wolf hunting them down and your stand is your setup at the point yeah. that you're going to, you're, you're going to try and ambush them, you know? So stick with the hot sign and keep, keep going. You're being percentages will be uh, way in your favor than just. Yeah. So now for guys that got their old, you know, I sit back and wait until the shit hits the fan and I go on that. You know, that's fine for you if that's what works for you. Um, or, you know, you got, um, whatever scenario you'd be, you know, you got this perfect stand. You need this perfect wind to hunt the spot. Uh, so the spot's red hot, and you're red hot and you're not getting the perfect wind. Why not take a portable and go in there and manipulate that spot right now? It's red hot instead of waiting for the shit to peter out and miss the boat. It doesn't make any, never made any sense to me from, from day one. So, um, you know, I heard you, I can't remember where I saw this, but you were talking about, this idea of finding a red hot spot like that. But you mentioned that a mistake a lot of people make is that they're afraid to over hunt a spot like that. So they'll hunt it a day and then they think, Oh, well the first hunt's done. Uh, I should go somewhere else. But you said that, no, um, you need to keep pounding it because if you leave, it's going to fizzle out. Um, you hunt it while it's hot. That's so that's traditionally, October hunts earlier, you know, your best time in is your first crack. Uh, then you've kind of polluted a little bit. You kind of, um, um, got a deer to one, one up, but when you start getting more toward the rut and all that, and you get this, you get a spot that's like a freaking zoo. None of them deer give a shit anymore. They're going <laughs> to, they're just, they're running. And it's weird. You'd watch those. I would check trails up in upper Wisconsin and the Nicolay. I had a, a open hardwoods I'd hunted and there's, faint trail that would go around the edge of the swamp on the edge of the, um, um, the hardwoods and where the traditional bedding was. And I remember every year I would just be anxious. I'd always go over there and look at that trail and I'd go over there and look at that trail. And then one day I go over looking at that trail and overnight the thing is just beat the fricking mud. It looks like a thousand deer running that trail. It's the same amount of deer running that trail and they're just running back and forth up and pretty rough before that rut where, and they're just, it's, it's red hot. Everything's happening. Time to sit that trail, buddy. <laughs> Get on there and, 
and stay on it because it's, um, you know, like I said, I've gone in there, I've bumped bucks that seen me bump them and, and came right back. They don't give a shit. So hunt it while it's hot. And when it fizzles out, then, then move them. We'll find the next hot spot. Um, and so when and you say a hot spot all the time, yeah, you know, you're going to, you're going to capitalize. So when you say fizzle out, basically you mean don't stop hunting that spot until you stop seeing the deer you're interested in. If you're sitting there and if it's been yeah, three days and you there, keep seeing and them. And he's still using it, you, you hunt it. And all of a sudden now, you know, the next day comes around and the deer don't show and they move or whatever. Then it, then you get down and start poking around again. Go, go after them, you know? Yeah. Now, what about, we kind of talked about some specific situations related to hunting the rut with lockdown does or hunting those evening sits by food sources. But what about mornings? Because for a lot of people, mornings are the what people think of as like your your best rut opportunity. They've got this late morning movement and cruising and chasing. And uh, where are the spots you're focusing on for the first part of the day during these November hunts? So if it's uh, that time of year, and like I mentioned, you have traditional spots that are good that you've uh, so. Um, if I'm on my farm here, everywhere I got stands set in these certain areas, it's in the perfect spot for certain winds, um, sometimes for multiple winds. But if there's a deer traveling through there, it, you can get them shot there. Um, so you're going to start now, you're going to start just start bouncing around. You're going to hope uh, if it's still a deer that you're looking to, to get, you're going to hope it's going to be luck that he just happens to come through there now, that spot, that day. Um, for whatever reason it is, it's not pattern, but you have a spot that you know is good that, you know, you can get shit killed. It's a good set. It's clean. Um, you get opportunity where it comes through there. And if it doesn't, you could try and sit that again. It's like rolling a dice or you jump to the next spot. That's really good. Um, and hot and you go, you go set and you sit that and you, you just start bouncing around and you see something you like. And if you see something, then you can slide over with a portable or. Um, so what are these, what are these, a, what are these spots though? Yeah. Cause you, you, you're saying that you're hunting a traditionally good spot that is safe from a wind perspective. It, it kind of makes me think like you're saying like these are pinch points or, uh, you know, so let me tell you what I think about pinch points. Uh, deer know pinch points. Deer that live there know it's a pinch point and that there, there, there's a, so when I hunt those, most spots I kind of like to sit out where I can cover anything, get in through a pinch point. Cause sometimes geographically they have to go through spots. And I don't think they really like to do that. Um, and I think their guard gets up on that. So unless it's the rut, it's deer that never been through there before or don't know the area. Good, fine. But, um, I'm more hunting, you know, specific early. Don't them spots are tough. I've you know, you got an open gate that the deer can walk right through and then the big buck just jumps the fence 40 feet down from it and cuts it short and doesn't go through it. You know, I just, um, not a big fan, but the G, you know, I got areas here that are big draws on both sides that are maybe a hundred yards across. If a deer is coming through there, it's got to come through from one of them walls to the other. Um, and I have those spots where over the years I watch, and I see how the deer move through them. I and some of these bucks will climb off a mountain like you won't believe, cross the bottom and climb up another mountain on the other side. Uh, but over the years, you'll notice that all the biggest deer seem to do the same thing in that area. So you you set up a stand for that spot, 
And if a big buck is traveling through there that day, whatever big buck it is, you're set up for them. You know, you get your crack at them. Um, How about this uh, situation like that? Let's say we we found a spot like this. It's and we've 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 never hunted in there, but we've seen this big I don't know big oak that's in the middle of what's obviously a bedding area, and over the years you've you've seen big bucks past this tree over and over. And, and for whatever reason, you never hunted there. But well, let's say the reason why you never hunted there is because it's like smack dab in the middle of the bedding. Yeah, and there's no, doesn't sound like a, doesn't sound like a very good, yeah. it sounds like you're going to get one good hunt out of that. And then the, the jinx is going to be up and every freaking deer that comes through, there's going to know, um, so that was you're like, in there, but yeah. So would you just yeah. never hunt it, or do you? Uh, well, no. If if I seen a big deer coming by there, I would go take my one crack at it, right? And um, uh, and it could be a spot that during the rut, deer travel through. That there might be every week if, or every day. It could be a different buck going through there. That's you're getting a fresh ambush on them. But traditionally, happens in spots like that when you hunt them early. Then big alpha does. will learn that that's a, a tree that's being hunted out of it, and they will really be. Um, cautious on coming through i had it this morning i'm in this this is the most phenomenal little spot where they trickle through and buy it to go to bedding and the deer kind of know i dropped my hat believe it or not and i always <laughs> carry an extra hat so they're climbing all the way down a tree i uh put another one on but these this big alpha doles where they would have traditionally just came through uh i'm hunting on the right wind i'm really careful about what i do there um i'm gonna have anybody else hunting on those spots. They get through and go about their business. Bucks will follow through, but now because there's a freaking hat laying there and they're getting a little scent from down low, they, you know, they stop, start looking around, looking up in the tree at you and just, um, and all of a sudden, you know, they learn that that's an ambush spot and that big mama's going to show every other doe coming through that, Hey, stay away from that tree, slide over here. And then you ruin the, you ruin a, a really good spot, you know. So um, you got to be careful on um, on scenarios like that. So yeah. So if you had, let's say, a week, let's say we're on a week long rut vacation, and you've got an area like this where you know there's a, a spot in the middle that's amazing, but you also know what you just described. If you go in there, a lot of deer are going to wind you. Um, so if you've got a seven day rut hunt, would you? hunt the edges of the downwind edges of the area and, and just wait until the last day or something. I would still opt for a good set. I wouldn't go below that because, you know, you screw up the dough that's coming through first and, and, and the money loads what's after her. So you, you still got to be able to have a good clean set where deer can get through there without being molested, not knowing they're being hunted to get your crack at a, um, you know, that big deer. If you start, educating every doe that's in there that you're in that tree and they start staying away from it or um, creating all kinds of havoc. It's not a good deal. So um, some of them spots are just not huntable, brother. Uh, they're just, there's not the timber there, but traditionally I, I'll get in some pretty small little trees, raggy trees on the edge of that. And, and you've heard the term, I think I've heard, I don't know. I read that before if it was um, Bill Winky wrote an article about hunting the fringe you don't ever really want to be in the midst of the pot. You want to be in all the chaos that goes on. It's even though they're traveling like a main trail, just think all of the 
interactions and the walking off to the right of the trail and the left of the trail and the bullshit that goes on. You want to kind of be on the, on the fringe of that where you can get the job done, but not, not really mess it up. You know, yeah. um, like I had a, uh, some guys that told me about a good spot once and there was like three trails that branched off and they were sitting in the, in the middle trail they set up on. I'm like, what the frick are you doing? <laughs> there's, there's never going to be a scenario that that's going to be good. There's going to be something downwind you off to the side every time. Get off to the side, way off to the side of one of the three, and the ones that are on the far trail, you, you you don't get. But everything coming through trail one and two, you get 100%. And then the opposite, you know, when you go on the other side and you hunt it. You're parking a freaking permanent stand in the middle of it. You just probably ruin that spot for anybody else for the future. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense, so... I think a lot of this is common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's easy to, to get stuck in overthinking these things sometimes. And, uh, and yeah, you just got to focus on the basics and that'll usually do it for you. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You, you mentioned the funnel thing. I want to dive a little bit more into that. You said that you feel like sometimes these deer feel uncomfortable being in these funnels. Um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I just never really liked the. So, so is there, uh, so if that's the case, then my, my question is, is there any type of funnel that you do still like to hunt? Is there something? Well, I, I like them, but I don't sit smack dab in the middle of it. I'm off where it widens out 
and the opportunity is, uh, so let's say you get an opportunity at the deer before it gets to be unfocused. Okay. Or you get the opportunity at the deer after he's made it through the, the, the leery zone and he thinks he's home free. So, so you're, you're not... kind of, again, on the fringe instead of right smack dab in the middle of Hell's Gate, you know. Just, yeah. Um, so not um, at the narrowest point, more the top of the funnel kind of situation. Yeah, and you'll notice some of them, them deer, you know, you they crawl up on some goofy-ass shit that you don't even, you know, they, they, they take it wide or they take it so... Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting how sometimes you find a sweet spot, the wind's right and everything, it's in the right area, and it's just, just like taking candy from a baby, and other spots are spots that are just um, not huntable, and you really can't learn a lot of them until you get in there and you, especially on a new set, you do all the education you can and what you've known about thermals and about wind direction and everything, and it almost takes a sit to learn and I've sat it, and I thought, man, this should work. And it's like, man, there's just no way you can ever get away with nothing here. It's, I'd love to be here. I'd love to park it here and have a permanent here, but uh, it's just not in the cards, you know. Yeah, that's that's got to take some discipline, though, to an experience, of course. But to be in a spot that looks great and feels great, but then you see, oh shit, it's not, it's not what I was hoping it would be. A lot of people would just stick with it and think, well, maybe I just got unlucky. Maybe it'll be better next time. So that set the other day for the scrape that's right in the right in the bottoms. And this is so here, just think of this. You're you're in a coliseum and you're in the bottom of it and all the deer are bedded on the rim. I mean, that's some crazy shit to be <laughs> yeah. watching you go to your shit. So I take the crick bottom in, I take the lay of the land in or I get get set and I know what the wind does. No matter what the wind does direction wise, it doesn't matter when it gets into these draws, even though it might be a north if it hits a draw that's running a little bit one direction, the wind's coming down the draw. So I got a flank trail that's going to be my bad trail that's going to, if something comes up, I'm screwed with the wind. But I see there's another big valley off to the left that I can't even see with my wind bottle, but I know from experience there's going to be a flow of air coming down that draw and the wind coming down the draw to my right is going to hit that flow of air and lo and behold i had the one buck that i got all the video on working the scrape come down that and i'm like this son of a bitch is gonna you know is he gonna get me and he did not have a freaking clue and the wind was blowing right right at him but i think it was hitting that that wall of wind direction it worked perfect and then i knew the wind was going to die down and i'm on a crick edge where i'm on the ledge of it and all the thermals are going to just fall into the crick bottom and flow away and i mean i could have killed the deer um, and everything worked out perfect. So now I know a spot that's hot. It's a red hot spot. If a big deer is there next year, it'll be a good spot. And I have a tree. I know that works for a certain wind northeast. And I'm gold. You know, I might go down there on the northwest, and something might be a little different. Um, so it's it's you know Can't that learn. kind of. Uh, years of trial and error that you you learn stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, hey, speaking of thermal and. and- weird little wind things like that. But you mentioned how your thermals would drop to the creek and then just follow the creek out. Um, do you see that happening just in a location like where you were at there, where you're in the bottom of a big you know, draw? Or will that even happen in flat country? If I'm in flat country so, and I'm next to a creek and the evening light fades. So if a, if a creek's running, creek's obviously it's, it's got to be running. There's got to be some grade to it for it to be running downhill. So in a perfect 
scenario on a crick setting, you want to be on the down current side because that's where, let's say everything goes just dead calm for your setup. Yep. If you're up that crick, your scent's going to slowly fall to the ground and it's going to slowly fall the direction that the, the water's running. Yeah. So in uh, the thermals, it's a powerful blob of air that just moves. A little bit of a gust here, a little bit of a gust there. It doesn't do shit to that massive movement of air moving that way. So you're, and, you, and I hunt these field edges that are all, everything is coming down no matter what happens. Uh, I can't get on the opposite side of the field because even when the wind's right for that, toward dusk, it's all heading across the field. So now I'm sitting on the opposite side where you think the wind was wrong, and I'm playing that thermal against the wind, and the thermal's beating the shit out of the wind and I'm getting away with murder. Nobody in their right mind is going to think, I'm going to sit on that side right now because the wind's blowing right into the field. It's really not. The wind is blowing to the field, but the mass of air is going the opposite way, and as it bumps and it grabs it, it slowly goes to right. Then, again, did not get... Uh, I've been getting really good at this shit for the last <laughs> years, almost surprising myself sometimes with um, what if you can get them spots figured out for that wind direction and thermal and stuff. Um, you're gold, man. You can, you don't need anything else, but just don't let any of that air mass hit them deer and you're, you should be good to go. Yeah. And that just comes with experience probably, or do yeah, you trial and error? Yeah. Um, and I've had spots that, uh, you go three feet higher in a tree stand and the wind's going in the opposite direction. You go a little bit lower. Um, I don't know. So like I said, some engineers said something about the, you know, air is going to do what it's going to do. And it's, you don't know what the hell it's hitting on the way through all those, um, draws and rocks and, and, and timber and stuff. Um, right. So some trial and error, but, um, yeah, I guess that's all you can do is get out there, try things, learn from, learn from it and, uh, keep trying. So to think about it, always think of this, where would I want my scent to go in a perfect scenario? Where would I like, this scent to go the other night I want I'd love this scent just to so I I come off the flat and I'm a little bit of a hill toward the creek so when my scent starts settling it's not settling on the flat it's it's on that angle going down and I want that scent just to slowly pour down to the creek and then just flow that direction with all the other air masses going there and it just and it, and it worked out perfect that's exactly what it what it did once once the wind stopped blowing and then thermals all took over, um, it was, like I said, it's, a, it's an excellent spot now. Now, the morning hunt will be a whole other animal, you know. it's um, mm -hmm. Now it's a totally different deal there. So, uh, again, I'd have to probably hunt that. To, uh, and I'd probably set up different on an MOR anyhow. I would get up on a rim and get up a little higher when it's carrying out. So, but. so let's jump uh, a little bit back from the wind thing and back to just standard hunt in the rut in November. We, we talked a little bit about what you're thinking with food sources. We talked a little about what you're thinking about for those morning hunts, pinch points. Um, we've talked some about bedding areas. Uh, does this change at all as the month of November progresses? Is there something different you're doing mid-November versus the very first few days versus the last week? Yeah, so let's say the rut's pretty much cooked bottle of those are bread and then you have these i think traditionally your big rut hunters say that that's really your chance that your biggest deer that they'll these big bucks are all wound up in their 
they're going to go start now. They're going to travel big, vast amounts of distance, looking for some stragglers that they can get. Um, now you got a deer that's coming through a property that's not on all the little intricate draws this way or that. We got big, big ravines or big creek bottoms that come up with with the um, uh, cliffs on both sides. For that week, you'll get deer that come in from who knows where, two miles away, and they'll just come and they'll run that whole, there's actually an old logging road that goes up the whole thing, and they just get on that thing and they run through the whole frickin' property, just traveling, looking for some little, you know, stragger going in the heat or whatever. So that's a that's a big travel, um, so you, you'll set your stands for some of the intricate action coming off of those, but you'll include that travel quarter toward which is normally not as great in your in your package you know what i mean maybe you'll slide your stand over so you get a little of that and you get the normal movement from side to side or um are you a spot hog or do you like to sit one solid trail and just get the wind good for that and hunt that one piece or are you try and hog a bunch of three or four <laughs> trails yeah it's a it's an interesting question. That's something I've been kind of changing on. I used tr- I used to try to be try to get as many things going for me as possible, but recently I've tried to switch more towards what do I think is the absolute most likely option, and then just be perfect for that one best option. What do you think? It is very tough to manage it all. And as I mentioned, the worst the worst spot in the world is where you freaking you you can't watch everything out in front of you. There could be some shit coming from behind, the right or left or that is an ugly, <laughs> an ugly <laughs> yeah. situation, and I I'd like to say that I could I could handle those and manage them, but it's it's uh isn't it nice to just be downwind off the sail of a beat to shit spot where you're just focused and you can sit tight and manage. Um, uh-huh. So there's a little of both to that um, going on. I'm curious how many other guys are uh, I, I, like I, to be the spot hog. Seems like the the more I'm a spot hog, which I still I, kind of like to get as much traveling through, but um, don't get as done as much as if you're just that set shot, you know, you know, yeah, here it comes 20 yards. It'll be a 20 yard shot coming through. Wind is perfect. Never, you know, no scenarios. And um, yeah, kind of nice to have that route too. But yeah. Yeah. Which, which, you know, when it comes to betting areas, another rut thing that we've briefly touched on, this kind of goes back to what we talked about, a little earlier when it comes to do you want to be right in the middle of them or on the fringes? Yeah, right in the middle would be where the most activity is. There's stuff coming from all over the place. Yeah. But if you if Not you can't manageable. yeah, if you can't hunt it without deer knowing you're there, then it's worthless. So And again, you know, again a big buck goes in there and starts shaking them doors around. Just I don't know if you could look at it in the snow sometimes or just watch. It's like they cover every freaking inch of that whole area anyhow. So it's at some point in time they're gonna we're going to get within range where you can shoot them. So let them cut their own throat by, you know, how are you possibly going to sit in the middle of that with them deer running up, down, all around, backwards, you know, and one of them damn doe is going to catch here or going to go yeah. just or, um, yeah, then the jig's up. Yeah. I would sit, uh, I'd sit more of that, that fringe. Of that. Yeah. Hunt the, hunt the downwind fringe, right? Yep. Is there, is there anything else, Andre, when it comes to the rut that you're doing that 
that has helped you that's that's different than most folks or that you that you kind of view as your secret sauce and again i know this isn't your favorite time but i know you've also killed a lot of slammers during november um anything any other tricks up your sleeve that we haven't touched on uh no it's just basically at that time of year you're gonna you know be an alternate and being the most um i know that a lot of slammers is uh, I almost didn't get or didn't get because I just just a guy who can't sit late enough and I, I I do know that I get down and I leave some of the best hunting on the table but it's just just the way I've been um, hunting all my life and it's, it's kind of hard to change yeah um, I know when I hunted Illinois I had never got out there early enough I always got out there when the, you know, I don't know how many times I come to my stand there's a monster standing <laughs> Right under it was on its way through that just just late to the dance, you know. So um, some of those spots, you almost got to be there for your evening hunt at like noon uh-huh. to, get, to get in and get set. And I just just not accustomed to that, you know. So so put your time in, right? So it's it's yeah, it's, you got to put. Uh, so most guys are, I think are, uh, but again, you can get caught up into spending too much time and not being in the right spot, which is I think a bigger tragedy than. Um, not being in there early enough, you know, so you're, you're burning a spot. Just, you know, you're, you're putting hours in it somewhere that's not, not the hot sign or, um, you know, or just over the hill. If you looked around a little bit, you'd have, you'd have definitely picked that, that other spot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a tricky thing with a rut in, especially if you're hunting a travel corridor or a pinch point type area where maybe there's not a lot of, maybe it's not high deer density but you know that eventually a good one should come through. That's something yep. I've struggled with in certain places. You're not going to see a lot of deer, but half of you says, all right, I should move because I'm not seeing much at all. The other half of me says, well, you know, if you, you could sit this thing three days straight and yeah. the buck you're after might not be in the area at all, but on day three, he will come through if you just stick it out. And that's, that's a tough one to know if you're wasting your time or biding your time. Um, and, and at that time of year, like you said, that's, it's, it could happen. I, I made this analogy a million times that I, I could sit on this freaking telephone pole out here on the road during a rut. And if I sat there long enough, I could shoot a good deer. I could shoot one off my porch probably during a rut, but <laughs> yeah. I just don't know if I got the wherewithal to climb up a spot that's just not, I'm not feeling it, you know, and just wait for that. I guess that what I'm saying is I'm not a very lucky guy, so I like to make my own luck. And, yeah. um, and just to roll of dice on that, it's just not, you know, and then for it's a deer that I don't know, it's, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me. So, um, yeah. I'd still rather go, you know, why not get down and run around during a rut? You can have a murder during a rut. Yeah. You're not messing anything up, you know, where you got a little, little touch here in October and that. So, um, yeah. And, and so tell me just a little bit more, let's wrap it up with this, uh, because this is something that I used to be, me personally, a lot of guys, especially in higher pressure areas where there's more hunters, um, I used to be all year round just obsessed with making sure no deer ever knows I'm there and really beating myself up if a, if a deer did wind me or if something went wrong, um, even during the rut. But it seems like sometimes we can get away with being a little more aggressive or getting away with a few bumps here or there during November because, like you just said, their mind is elsewhere. Um, would you agree with that? So you're talking about the scenario of the day you hunt, but if you think that a deer, that when you go to a stand and you hunt it and you leave it, 
and you got away with it that night, if you think them deer are in the middle of the night and their travels don't know that something has been there or they haven't crossed, you're, you're always going to have. Um, so in, in all the chaos of it, um, you know, I call it the virgin sit. You can mess everything up, and then in that area there's a spot that you didn't mess up where the sign all reads good and you, you work at that point and you hunt that spot. You take a shot. It's your best shot. It's your first time in. You've read the sign. It's red hot. You can't get any better than that. Then you get down and go find another spot like that the next day or another spot the next day or, um, you know, you, and you keep on the move with it, you know. Um, so keep or on. Or you have these spots that are just prime and you get down and you go to the next one. That's I mean, I, I think we got a hundred, hundred sets on this property that are all, you know, in good spots if something were to be there and maybe 30 of them are really active good areas yet to this day that haven't changed but um still going to one of those good spots you know yeah i mean them doors looked up at me they, they they knew something was up in that tree but i got the old head mask on and just played played it good and they didn't really get the wind and, and they'll be back through there again it's just one of those spots i know they just they just travel through there and they just um it's really good, consistent spot. So, um, so point being, seek them out, hunt them down sometimes. But if you're in the right place, um, it's you can get away with a little more if uh, if you know you're in the right place. Yeah, and like we go, I mentioned about this property in the middle of it. I have to get in and out of here, and I ain't walk you know walking three a mile and three quarters back every freaking day in and out of there. So these deer are accustomed to like the farmer. They're accustomed to them bikes ripping through there. They're accustomed to. Sometimes if you're too careful with it, now it's a different scenario. You're going out there to hunt and now it's not a norm to them to see the chaos. That might be a worse scenario than, you know, that buck been bedding back in there and here and you drive through on your bike that you're out there again. It's, you know, I don't, I've never really, I shouldn't say that years ago, I probably fell victim to that. Uh, but with all the scouting and the, and the stuff that I do is, um, that I've learned over the years, I just, it does not bother me a bit to even jump a deer on the way in or, um, jump the deer on after on the way in or, or have him know I'm hunting him. I just, I just don't let it bother me. So just keep, keep moving on him and you'll surprise yeah, him eventually. I'm, I'm coming at you, man. It's, <laughs> there's only one way that you can avoid it is to get the hell out of this property and leave. And a big deer is, there ain't no way I'm getting out of this hell and this property and leaving. I own this property. I live here and I'm, I'm staying too. So, so let's, you know, let's do the dance. Let's play the, play the game and then see who comes out on top, you know? Yeah. There you go. Well, I guess if, if there's any kind of theme to this conversation, then it's probably go just like all of your hunting. It seems like you, really the moral of the story to kill a buck during the rut for you is to find them, hunt them down, and then put in enough time, keep on adjusting, and eventually yep. good things can happen. It's not rocket science. Hunt. It's simply being Bro. smart and hunting hard. And hunt where they're at. You got to be where they're at. If you, ain't, you know, they are where they are. And if you're not, um, you might as well be a million miles away if you're, you know, if you're 10 acres off. So, yeah. Um, All right, Andre. Now, well, let's hope some, oh. let some slammer from like three miles away comes over and starts running some doles in here. 
I'll be I happy hope. if I get a glimpse of one. So I hope so. Well, I know you want to get in the stands, so I want to I want to let you go so you can wrap up your other work and go find that slammer. So, Andre, thank you for making the time to do this. And and real quick before we do shut it down, do you have any updates for folks as far as anything with uh, with the custom gear or YouTube or any other content you want folks to check out? Yeah, so uh, check out our page, uh, Mobile Hunters United. Uh, see what some of the stories that the guys are success stories. Um, you can learn learn a lot from that. Uh, after this week, we should have all orders fulfilled that are in the system, and we now should have a little stock for each of these items in. So if a guy gets a bug uh, just before, um, so I guess we're on time with everybody for the rut now for the next phase. What guys will be hunting? Um, you should be able to pick up just about every one of our models here in the next um, week and a half, two weeks. We should have some stock, um, so you can order that and um, and let's hit it hard, man. And send photos. I love to hear the stories and uh, and see some of them photos too, big and small. Um, so perfect. And let me know what let me know what happens to you this next when you go in there now. Um, yeah, I want to I want to get a call. All right, I'm going to do my best to uh, stick an arrow in the night, and I'll send you a picture. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, brother. All right. Thanks again, Andre. All right. Bye. And that's a wrap. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Like I mentioned at the end of my introduction, good luck in the woods. Have a blast. Push through the tough times. Grind it out. But ultimately, always remember to have fun. This is what we've looked forward to all year, so don't get so stressed out. Don't work so hard that it's not fun anymore as well. You got to balance those things. Enjoy yourself. Have the best hunting season of your life. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.